Hello, dear listener, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to episode number one. My name is Lauren. I'm a performing artist and Aussie living abroad, and whilst currently stuck at home in lockdown, I figured now is as good a time as any to make something new. So I've decided to start a podcast, an interview series that discusses travelling for work in the performing arts. In this episode, we start from the very beginning with me and my husband, Will, as we discuss our journey of moving from Brisbane, Australia to the new world we find ourselves in here in London. We discuss navigating the visa process, struggling with work and finances and how living in London has made us, well, if nothing else, a little more street smart. We also inevitably spoke about how the coronavirus has been affecting our lives over the past 12 months and how best to produce a podcast without spending a cent. So without further ado, let's get to it. <laughs> okay, are we doing it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, this <clears throat> one's for real. Talk to me. All right, we've done a number of sound tests now. Um, so hopefully this audio is good enough. I basically just don't want to spend any money on this. Sure. <laughs> How about you tell everybody where we are then? I just, all right, obviously for people who can't see where we are, Which is whoever everybody. is listening, wherever you are, we are in a self-made cubby house in our bedroom that's made up of multiple dunas or duvets, duvets. <laughs> for the Brits, mm-hmm. um, couch cushions, towels, a dressing gown, two clothes racks. <laughs> And somehow I've managed to squeeze my six foot six husband in the corner of it. So thank you, darling, for coming on. No worries. And doing this very first episode Mm. of The Pursuit Pod with me. I just really want to have a platform to have some discussions with people I've been meaning to talk to for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Because I know so many people now who have travelled either to pursue work or travelled because of work, taking on contracts that have them uh, working on sea and in other countries. And I, you know, well, I'm on lockdown, aren't I? I could, if, if, if I've ever had time to catch up with people and actually talk to them about their stories, like I've, the like I've said I've wanted to for ages, then yep. now's the time. So what better way to start than with the person who's there. <laughs> <laughs> the person I can rope in That's right. from the front room. Yeah. Um, and also our story's pretty cool. It is cool. Let's think back to when we first applied for visas. Because sure. I think that was the real, oh my gosh, we've just put our money down and we're doing it. Do we need that like dream sequence music? Have you got that in the edits? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just soundbite that, that <laughs> every time I need to do a flashback. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. So we flash back to the stress. That, that was applying for visas. Applying for visas. Making now, mistakes. Can you tell me about your heritage and what visa that sure. allowed you to apply for? Uh, Dad's English, which is lucky. So that means that I can, or originally, I thought that that meant that I was eligible for an ancestry visa and that I had to provide proof of my grandfather's heritage so that I could get into the UK based based on that ancestry Um so we got all the money together. Like how much do you remember? Thousands, two, three thousand, maybe Australian. Gosh. So fifteen hundred pounds. I was plus. about to say my head thinks in pounds now, so yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. to remember. But yeah, it was like multiple More? thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah, too much, too much money. So we got all of that together. We got the application together. We had everything to go, 
And I think that the biggest issue is that it's those sorts of things are always time sensitive. Anybody mm-hmm. who has dealt with a visa application process knows the stress that comes with having to put something in and then just wait mm-hmm. and hope that if you've already booked tickets for the travel itself or if you've made other plans, all of those have to remain on hold until you have that visa in your hand. Because, of course, we had booked the tickets first. Yeah. I'd forgotten yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the order of things. Yeah, yeah. We booked to. the tickets, so we had, so this, we had this looming deadline. That's right. Um, Which is the only way to do it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is the only way to do it. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no alternative. Yeah. Um, and then the Home Office here in the UK got back to us in Australia and and said, denied. Yeah, you got denied for your ancestry yeah. visa. Yeah, no visa for you, sir. And why uh, was that again? Because it was the wrong one. Because they said the way that you filled in this form suggests to us that you might be eligible for British national status Mm -hmm. so you need to either prove to us that you're not a british national uh or you need to cancel this application and put in a new application to become a british national and and give us the evidence for that and of course receiving a response like that is infuriating because it's so hard to actually get guidance as to what oh we couldn't we you know we're devastated we're devastated the only way to get information we have to call them is to call them, and it charges you like a yeah. couple of dollars a minute. So it was like the middle of the night in Australia, so that it was first thing in the morning here in the UK, and and we just had to be on hold initially with it charging you, yeah, I don't yeah, know, multiple like pound, dollars pound a minute, a, yeah, 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 a couple of pounds a minute, racking it up, which is double in Australia. So it, and then when you finally get through to someone on a visa call like that, they're very hesitant to give you definite yeses and noes. They can't tell you anything because yeah. they're liable. So if if they were to say, oh yeah, just do it like this. And then you, you did it like that and you didn't get your application, then that, that person is responsible. Mm. So they end up guiding you in a way that they, they say, if you feel that best you know, fits your situation, then that, you know. Oh, it's just. It's, they never say yes or no. No, no, no. No, it's, it's like So to get a infuriating. on the ancestry visa was. And then to not know what to do mm. initially. Yeah, so stressful. But that's all part of it, I think. And then. We kind of knew what we had to do, so we we just had to fast track this British national application, mm-hmm. and luckily that that all went through and that was fine and it, it got done within the time that we needed it to, and and I was able to go into Brisbane City and pick up the the visa, and, it, and it, it's and so strange for like, anyone who might be interested or not mm-hmm. understand the difference between an ancestry visa and mm-hmm. the visa you now have as a British national. Yeah, can you explain the difference? So I think ancestry visa goes through your grandparents' heritage. Mm-hmm. So that means if dad had been born in Australia, um, my grandfather was still English, so that would be the the route that I would have taken instead. But mm-hmm. because dad is English, even though I am Australian and was born in Australia, I'm still eligible for British national status, mm. um, which grants me basically every right that a full British citizen has, except for the right to be recognised as a full British citizen. Which you have to Which is really strange. I've ended up, I ended up learning so much more about immigration <laughs> politics and, and procedure than I ever thought I wanted to <laughs> or would ever need to know. But there's options, and mm. myself not having British heritage, yep. I went straight on to the... Um, Under 30s. Two years, what's the name of it? Under um, 30s visa. Youth mobility visa. Youth mobility. Which yeah. is available to anyone under 30. I don't think it's changed. No, I don't think so. And basically, we've, we're have we approaching three years 
here yeah, in the UK crazy. now. Crazy. <laughs> so I've changed visas since then, but yes. we'll we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But we did the visa thing. We packed up our life, sold mm. everything we could. I think that was harder than the visas. Yeah. The amount of stuff that you can accumulate, because we've been we'd been together for like ten years. Ten at that years point. at that point, and you just end up with so much stuff, and you don't. It creeps in. Like I'm conscious of what I buy, but I've. I'm even more conscious nowadays every time I accumulate a new Mm, item mm. um, as to whether I really need it. Let's move then from why did we do this? Yeah. Um, And the short answer is to pursue careers, my career in particular, because I was finding it very hard to make a living Mm -hmm. as a performer back in Oz. And uh, saying that, I was quite a busy performer in Brisbane Mm. Um, and I then soon had a uni qualification under my belt. I was proud of the work I was getting to do in Brisbane, Mm -hmm. but it was far from paying the bills. Ultimately, I was struggling to make a living as a performer Mm -hmm. back home Mm -hmm. and not wanting to go back into childcare, which is where I was working in my early 20s. We decided to take this opportunity to move overseas just to... Give it a go. It was hard for me because, I mean, you said it, you, you said the name of the podcast just before, you did it in pursuit mm. of, of work. And the hard thing for me was that I had arguably one of the best jobs that I could have had in my field in, in the area that we were in. So that was a difficult thing to have to come to terms with, I think, that we really needed to move somewhere for you. And I was able to do the work that I was doing kind of anywhere in the world, but it was still hard to pull the trigger on that. It Mm -hmm. felt like... Felt like we were making sacrifices. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like I was making a mistake. Mm. I don't regret coming over here at all. I've I've loved it. It's it's been so good. I I wouldn't trade it for anything. Having that experience, I think, has has been worth everything. and that, in a nutshell, is, yeah. is what I want this podcast to be about. Because sure. sometimes, whilst in the pursuit of something, be it career or... You find something else. You, you end up yeah. falling into other things, yeah. which I find really, really fascinating. Yes. And I, I think living abroad has just made us live with our eyes wide open. Yeah. More yeah. so than we had been back in Brisbane. Like It just yeah. feels like we're soaking in experiences over here. I think it's hard not to. Mm. I, think, I think you... You can't stop yourself from having experiences when you do something like this. Mm. Um, Because it takes you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, 100%. Which is when your brain actively makes more memories. When you're you're least comfortable, your (laughs) brain burns (laughs) those memories into you. Yeah, Yeah, mild anxiety is good for the soul, Mm. I guess. (laughs) Good for the stories. Good for the stories, yeah. So. So. How long were we on a plane for? Two planes? One was like... days (laughs) it's about 24 hours in total yeah yeah there was a minor hiccup at the singapore airport where you fell asleep where i fell asleep next to the bags honestly i argued with you because i felt like i hadn't fallen asleep at all you'd literally gone to the toilet told me to mind the bags and then you were there just like angrily i was like (laughs) i hadn't even realized you'd left i was so tired yeah yeah after spending if not for me we would have missed our transfer (laughs) in singapore 100 percent I said, you must guard these bags that hold our life's possessions <laughs> our, with your own life. Our life's 
possession. Guard them with your life. This 60 kilos is all we have in the world. And you looked at me and, and, and nodded. And then you were out like a light. <laughs> you were probably so out before I'd even taken a few steps away. I was so tired. Yeah. That flight was horrible. I yeah, dread doing it again. Like, I know you just got to sit on a plane, but 24 hours in a confined space like that, I honestly felt sick. I dealt with it better than you did, which yeah. is funny, because I'm like twice the size. Of yeah. You. I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be nightmarish for me. I thought it was going to be one of the worst experiences I've, I've ever had. Yeah, we've got the video footage of me bouncing around, being super stoked that we were landing, and then you look at you in that footage, and, and you're like... like slightly green. Yeah. I'm, I'm bad with travel sickness, but yeah. also I just don't like sitting still, I no, think, no. is the ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a capacity for laziness. <laughs> right, we landed... At Heathrow, was it? Yeah. Caught the Uber out to... Oh, we'd had a debacle with our Airbnb as we had taken off. Yeah, that's right. In Australia, basically, mm. as our phones went off and we got on the plane, our Airbnb host messaged us saying that the booking we had arranged for the very first place that we were going to stay for yep. our very first night right. in a brand new country... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm could no longer happen and he diverted us to a different address. Yep. Long story short, we got off the plane and we're dragging 60 kilos of our worldly possessions through the Isle of Dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and like the sun's going down. We have no idea where we are. It's we're terrifying. We're starting, it's to get, terrifying. we're starting to get a bit persnickety at each other because yeah. we're dragging suitcases. We're and so cranky. We were getting really cranky because we were scared, man. Scared, yeah, yeah, yeah. When everything you own is in a single bag and you're dragging it across, like, potholed streets down a, a, a dimly lit sort of alleyway in a place you've never been before and there's people on balconies sort of leering at you and it was crazy. It was not, <laughs> it was it, not the picture of England it I felt expected. Like, it felt like a, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um, it felt like we'd made a mistake. Especially because the guy had swapped our booking as well and I was like, this is a scam. We've just been scammed. This is great. We're going to turn up. There's not going to be a room. What are we going to do? But um, there was. But there was a room. And there was a lockbox and we worked it out. Yeah. And we got into our very, very small room. So small. And we slept, <laughs> which was about all we could do in and this And that was Airbnb. the start of, of living in small rooms in this country. Ah, <laughs> such a trend. Yeah, it is. So we stayed in that Airbnb and then we had a lush couple of weeks having a bit of a belated honeymoon. Yeah, that's right. Because we dropped our shit off yeah, in a storage container and then straight back on the planes and over for our honeymoon. Which was a blessing. I'm so glad we did that because it meant that when we came so back... So smart, dude. We're smart, Yeah, mate. smart. We're smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, we... Dumping our stuff meant that when we eventually, on our honeymoon, caught mm. up with our mates Chris and Lucy, yep. also from Brisbane, yep. also moving to London at the same time, mm. win... Maybe going to feature on this podcast. Uh -huh. <laughs> we'll just talk about them lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we met up with them in the last leg of our honeymoon, and it meant that we moved back to London to start the living process together amazing. Amazing. as a team. And we just had to go to our little storage unit, pick up our crap, and and then we embarked on finding that Airbnb together. We did that whilst we were on holidays with them. Yeah. We, we lined yeah, yeah, up yeah. an Airbnb, mm -hmm. which was gorgeous. The first house we stayed so in was this gorgeous family home. Gave us the wrong impression of living in London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but beautiful a, garden. Mm. But for a couple of weeks, we, we soaked it up there. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And then we moved to Mile End. Yeah, where the streets are paved with bulbs. <laughs> 
literal nitrous bulbs. Yeah, wh- whipped cream bulbs. I don't know what they call them in the UK here, for, like slang, because it's drugs. It's, yeah. Yeah, but it's like over-the-counter or available. It's the stuff you put into a whipped cream canister and the kids love it. Kids here. Love Kids it. love it. What? They fill balloons up. They huff them down. They're doing it on the streets. They were doing it on the street. Yeah, Everywhere yeah, yeah. in my life. I mean, it happened in Brizzy as well, but you just wouldn't see gutters full of... Of the canisters. Is that a sign of the population difference, or, or are people just really rugged? I think in they're Ireland? really keen on it. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you if you search like East London, um, I don't know whipped cream canister, bulb canister, they had like a bit of an epidemic mm. with it. <laughs> so yeah, getting off the bus in Mile End, kicking your way past the nitrous bulbs, walking past the bus shelter signs that say, you oh, know, knife knife free since since. 2003. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you carrying a knife in the... Yeah, so yeah. there's like knife crime signs everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. nitrous bulbs on the ground. So Mile End was an improvement, but still it was apparent that we were not living in Brisbane. But in I a think cool way. This is just a world city, and I think that that's... Like, you've got to take that into account. If, pop, if Brisbane had the same population, there's going to be areas... Like, there's areas in Brisbane that are rough that mm. you wouldn't that you wouldn't feel 100% comfortable just sort of walking around if you had no business being there. Mm. <clears throat> it's just the same. Like, And saying that, nothing happened to us ever. No. And we're no. often out late. Oh, except and... when all of our um, money got stolen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's fast forward to that a bit sure. then. So we were living at Mile End in our share house with Chris and Lucy, mm. which was a godsend. Yeah, I, I recommend... Moving with friends. Moving with friends. If, if not can. a partner. Like, I don't think that's completely necessary. No. I see lots of people moving by themselves but to have some yeah, friends God. to live with at first mm. was an absolute godsend and it was fun that we were all on the same page it wasn't yeah. that they were hosting us in any way we were all figuring things out yeah that's for true the, for the yeah. first time if you moved in with mates who'd been living here for like a year or two i think you'd feel a bit of like a bit of a burden i think you'd also Maybe. feel quite looked after yeah that's but true you wouldn't go through the teething of no, figuring things out which is out. kind of exciting to do as a group yeah um but then, yeah, we, we'd we been with them for a little while. I I was picking up some dry cleaning one day and went to pay for it and it got denied. And I was like, huh, that's weird because we, we have all of our life savings in that account. So there should be money in there. So I stepped away from the counter and checked the bank balance on my app and it was zero. A whole row of zeros, in fact. And you called me. Yep. What did I say? <laughs> You've never started a phone call so sternly with me. I thought you were, I thought something major between us was about to go down. You called me and you were like, Lauren, I need you to listen very, very carefully. This is extremely serious. Stop what you're doing. And so I immediately was flustered. I think I was having a cheeky cheeseburger after having taught all morning. Like, yeah. I was just like, I just wanted to have me a little cheeseburger, spend me spend me one pound and not, not feel too bad about money. And then you were like, we've lost everything. <laughs> I couldn't even finish my cheeseburger because it was a Saturday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we realised all the banks, the, the two banks in our area that were open on were Saturday. Were about to close in about an hour. So I legged it across the centre of London. And I had my bike, so I just cycled... To HSBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, near Whitechapel, I think I was. And, um, yeah, after some investigating, we found out that someone had gotten our bank details, gotten Will's details. No, what they have done somehow is activate my phone banking through voice activation. So they had pretended to be me through phone banking, which I hadn't secured with 
my voice print ID yet mm. at that point I th- or something like that. So he, so I didn't have the like the phrase that you're supposed to say and they recognise the tone in your voice. Instead, he just rung up and was like, yep, I'm that Australian bloke. That's all good. Let's do this transfer. And had somehow authorised that without it being an issue. I think the... They needed one point of authorization, and they'd, they'd known that I had withdrawn £10 from an ATM at mm. some point. Mm-hmm. But when you and I thought about it, neither of us had withdrawn £10 that we could remember from the ATM that was listed on the thing. So we wondered if like one of our cards had been skimmed, and then they'd withdrawn the 10 so that they knew mm. when to, to quote that. Like, it was just mad. It was it, I don't know how it, how it worked. And our our bank account our bank account got drained. Yeah, hundred so percent. We'd had about as it was, we were starting to get. We'd to, only had a couple of grand in there. I think we were starting to get to the pointy end of our finances. We'd come over here with enough to keep us afloat after the honeymoon. What we probably had like six thousand pounds. A bit more than that, I think. Seven. Yeah, I don't but know. Then we had to pay like bond and uh, get some clothing. The money was disappearing. The money was disappearing. We were down. And then to it about, all disappeared. Yeah, we were down to about two grand. And it just, yeah, in the blink of an eye, got drained from our account. Mm-hmm. Um, we had it reported as fraud. HSBC were extremely helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's what fraud out. departments are for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it did take multiple trips of going in in person yeah. and about half a week mm. for that money to, to come back, back to us. Luckily, still... we'd just gone grocery shopping yeah. and our friends, Chris and Lucy, bless them, just handed us £100 yeah. and said... Like just sort that out, yeah. Sort like, yourselves out, yeah. Whenever you can, but that taught us to be a lot more careful. Well, I mean, we had been being careful, but it just taught us how easy it is. There's just a culture of scamming here that that isn't as prevalent that back is home. I think absolutely more, and it's because there's so many oppressive. people hustling here. It's that same thing. It goes back to the population here. Like with the millions of people that are here, there's going to be so many of them that are struggling close to that poverty line, and mm-hmm. you'll you'd do anything. And if it if that means running like a bank fraud scam so that you can feed your kids, like it's so hard. Mm. Because I have sympathy for these for for people in those circumstances, but then that's my money, and mm. I, and I was also like kind of desperate. Absolutely. At that point as well. So well, it's like... I think that leads us on to talking about those yeah. early stages of work and, and yeah, the, the first yeah, yeah, bits yeah. of money we were earning. Yeah. Because that was the biggest hurdle to overcome, mm. I think, getting work, getting work over here. I had... What was it? I'd applied for 40 jobs in three weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Which was a shock in, in and of itself because the industry here... Uh, so I'm a librarian... A library information professional. So I, I work in the library industry, and back in Oz, I'd, I'd worked in tertiary education, but then moved into the sort of reference library sector as well. And we didn't want to, especially because you had left that behind. Yeah. There was a major importance for us on not having you do any work that wasn't career focused. Yeah. My work, yeah. and as a self employed performer, yeah. allows me to be quite flexible in being able to pick up bits of work wherever yeah. I need, especially when I'm not under a full Whereas contract. I didn't want a job at Tesco to make... I, d- I didn't want to cool. be doing that. I felt like I was at a point in my career where I didn't need to be making those kinds of sacrifices anymore. And and I just wanted to, to get some work in my field. So um, that took time? 
It took time, but it was also surprising how much bigger the the library industry over here was. I would never have been able to apply for that many positions in that short space of time back home. Mm. I I think I ended up getting like 15 interviews. Wow. Um, And again, that would never have happened in, in Brisbane. But coming with that is all of the competition um, that you have in a bigger city where there's that many jobs. So it doesn't ever really get any easier, I don't think. And at that same time, I was doing whatever work I could get my yeah. hands on, really. Yeah. So I, after spending a number of weeks... Oh, sorry, I just knocked something then. You just knocked the dresser. little handle of the dresser that <laughs> is beside us in our cubby <laughs> as we record a podcast on the floor. So after we'd been in Myland yeah. for... Uh, as much time as we could handle without earning money again and feeling yep. nervous about it, yep. um, I started the process of emailing agents and mm-hmm. finding work. I was lucky enough to meet a advisor who I was put in contact to by my head of department back home in Brisbane, who graciously sat down and gave me a couple of hours of her time one day and had a coffee with me and gave me a a list of agents to contact and and a whole lot of tips and tricks for being over here. And then at the end of the interview, Mm. she um, also offered me a place at her agency. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I was very lucky to have met Yvonne. Definitely. And if she ever listens to this, I doubt she will, but I'll never be able to thank her enough for mm. what she did mm-hmm. for me. And at that meeting, when we had coffee in Vauxhall, yep. she told me about a little tea house just across the way oh, yeah. called the Tea House Theatre mm-hmm. uh, that she she knew the owners and suggested that they, they might need someone, especially someone creative who would just like working in that little kitschy theatre environment. Mm -hmm. Basically, it was this little blue cottage in the middle of a park that sold big pots of tea and scones and was filled with old, scrunchy armchairs and had a couple of cats about. It was lovely. It was lovely. I walked in and I was completely charmed by the place. I sat there, had a meal, and at the end of my meal, I asked one of the guys, who looked a bit flustered, happened to be the owner, owner, sorry, um, whether he needed any help, and I basically started working the next day. Mm-hmm. So that was, I, I was so wrapped up with that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the most amazing thing to have happened. And even though I had to commute about 45 minutes to get to this tea house every day, mm-hmm. I did that for a couple of weeks, and I basically started working full-time for mm-hmm. them within mm-hmm. a couple of days. Um, I've worked in hospi- hosp- hospitality a lot over the years. Mm, I think most actors... So I was, you know, and I'm, I can switch on a smile and be personable. And I found, I picked up the job really quickly. They soon saw that I was a valuable asset and Mm -hmm. they'd, I think they'd lost a couple of staff members recently, Mm -hmm. which should have been a red flag. But basically within two weeks, I felt like I became a senior member of staff. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You were already training people, weren't you? Yeah, I was already training people. I, I, I still had to look at the money to check what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So I was already training people. And I think working in that building was a really in, um, interesting introduction into um, English architecture in that that building was dank. Yeah, right. It was dank. so yeah. damp. Yeah. I remember the un, uh, the underneath downstairs area of yeah. that uh, tea house was like mouldy as hell. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, I probably shouldn't say that. I probably shouldn't talk about it. No, no. I was actually going to say it a bit earlier. You probably shouldn't 
say anything about any of this. Well, they treated me quite badly in the end. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but also it's not. What if you ended up becoming like an incredible influencer with heaps of clout, and then your your millions of listeners turn on this poor tea house and. Well, do you know what? <laughs> they need to tidy the place up. And then, in the end, in the end, they were really, really rude to me. So yeah, they don't need the full story. But, but come... <laughs> they, didn't, they don't. <laughs> you can really put your foot in it. I was actually going to mention this before the podcast. I was like, oh, are you going to mention the tea house? Because I don't think you should. <laughs> but it's such a solid part of my early, like my yeah. early days yeah, yeah, yeah. here. And they gave you a job. You did that. You felt you were they doing really well. Really they worked hard. you to the bone. They worked you so hard. They worked me really late. I didn't mind it, but yeah. come the two-week mark when they were due to pay me, there were issues with money. Yeah, the... I'm trying. I'm just trying to cut it, <laughs> cut it short. I can do that myself in the editing, mate. Don't rush <laughs> me. But they wanted to underpay me, yeah. and I stood up for myself yep. because because you're a strong, independent woman, mate. Yeah, mock <laughs> <Not> me. <laughs> But you are. No, that's because part of the reason why I married you. Learned that you have to be businesslike when you're handling your own money, yeah. and unless without... you're, you're doing that with the owner, who can fire you, and they did. Well, <laughs> I pulled him up on it. He spoke very rude to me, rudely to me, yeah, across did. a room full of customers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when I sat down and I showed him the figures and yep. I showed him my calculations and just yep. said to him, "I think this is incorrect," and yep. also I don't think I've gotten the tips that we had mm, divvied up mm. earlier this week. He didn't like it, no, and of he... course he didn't. He sent me a text message when I was on my way home yeah. that night saying yeah. I didn't need to come back in. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blessing in disguise, actually. So thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I won't slag you off anymore. Yeah. It was a lovely place. I, I it really... was a lovely place. And they yeah. were going to be really supportive of yeah. me auditioning. So if you're, if you're ever in Vauxhall and <laughs> you're looking for a mouldy slice of cake... <laughs> mate, the cake wasn't mouldy. The cake's downstairs. not mouldy. Just downstairs. Don't go downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, staff right. only anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the tea house was gone. We also started cycling. We did. Because we yeah. I cycled out there yes, to see you. We I did. did I did work at the on a laptop. That there. was my forty five yeah. minute commute. I cycled out there. Mm, we we spent mm. a few weeks experimenting with the, the Boris bikes. Santander bikes. Yep. Um very heavy, ungainly beasts. Some people pronounce that differently here. What? I say Santander. Yeah. Sometimes people go Santander. They, like, put the emphasis on it They do, like, a little hop, <laughs> like you just did. No. They, they emphasize it differently. Oh, Santander. San- or Santander. San- Maybe that's how they say Santander. it. <laughs> Santander. 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 Yeah. <laughs> For anyone not in London, the Santander bikes... The Santander bikes yeah. are, are like a council bikes that yeah, you can hire bikes. for a couple of pounds. Yeah. Um, and as long as you dock them within half an hour, yeah. you, it's, that, it's, you can keep doing that for free, right? Yeah, that two pounds yeah. will we'll get you by for a whole day's commute. Yeah. So we did that so much that we bought bikes. Yeah. Is that what you were getting to? Yeah, we bought yeah. bikes, which was great until... Because you couldn't cycle back home. No. Because it was hilly and hot. You'd just be a pool of sweat. It would be. No You'd see cyclists, but they looked mad. Mm. Yeah, they always looked upset. And <laughs> yeah. They were really, really thin. Yeah. Um, but here you can. It's flat. Flat as anything. It's so good. <laughs> and the infrastructure is really good. Like, there's cycle lanes on most yeah. London roads. Yeah. And also, the traffic is so bad with cars on the road in central London that you can actually cycle so much more mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. You can get about on the bike. Yeah. Like, my parents were always worried about me cycling here. But 
everything's at a standstill except for you. (laughs) So you feel, you feel incredibly safe in lots of traffic or I do anyway. Maybe it's because I'm I'm quite visible Mm. because I'm on an enormous bike. (laughs) So that's kind of the snapshot of our first six months here. Yeah. We, um, moved moved house, jobs, theft, bikes. Yeah. Yeah. But then something exciting happened. You got your first library job. Yeah. And I got a role in a show. You did. So um, my lovely agent had helped me finally land up a, a dancey audition, mm-hmm. which is my strength. Forte. So I was really, really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a dance audition first, which doesn't always happen in no. musical theatre. I remember you saying that at the time. But whenever it does, I get so stoked because it's just my comfort zone. I know mm-hmm. I can go in there and own it a bit. Sure. Um, and I got through. Uh, I got through yeah. to the... Spoiler s- alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Got through. Yeah. Got into a singing round. Smashed it. Well, did well yeah. enough. <laughs> did well enough that I got to do self-tapes yep. for some of the scene work mm-hmm. and uh, eventually got myself a little bit part as a maid yep. <laughs> in, in Can Can, the new musical that Phil Wilmot had written to put at, on at the Union Theatre mm-hmm. um, in... Where's the Union? Southwark. Southwark, yeah, correct. Or Southwark, as I probably pronounced it incorrectly. Yeah, when we first moved here, yeah. Soon corrected by... Southwark, yeah. Um, The Union Theatre has a bit of a, like, Brisbane arts charm about it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anybody from Brizzy? Yeah. (laughs) So as much as I was, like, over the moon about this new role, it was was this little theatre, profit share project, but I just couldn't care less. I was so stoked to have gotten something. In London. Um, And that started our new year in 2019. So January, pit of winter. Mm Mm-hmm. Really bloody cold. I got this job doing a can-can show and was cycling in and out of the theatre every day. Mm-hmm. And on my commute home one day on the bike, yeah. I was flowing through what was basically gridlocked traffic, yep. following another stream of cyclists. Like, it all felt quite safe. I always wear my helmet mm-hmm. in when I'm cycling in the London city. But, yeah, long story short, I kind of ran into a bus. Yeah. It was like one of those like dream moments, yeah? Yeah, he looked like, at me, I looked at him, I thought he was going, he thought I was going, and then we both went, and then all of a sudden... And it was slow. <laughs> my bike had hit the side of the bus, and lo and behold, I came off worse. Yeah. So I wheeled my bike to the nearest Halfords, the bike mm-hmm. repair place, um, and... Shout out to Halfords. Shout out to shout out, shout out to Mile End Halfords. Mile End Halfords scooped us up out of like out the of the gutter, of despair out of the gutter, times. full of bulbs, full of whipped cream bulbs. For our first year as cyclists, and I lost my bike. Yep. So I started walking, the like almost two hours. Oh yeah, you did too. <laughs> and I started Weirdo. walking to and from rehearsal every yeah. day. It was like two hours there and two hours back. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Or no, an hour and a half. Yeah. It was a lot, but I. <laughs> I just, I rediscovered podcasts for the start, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for the first thing, and just was enjoying seeing the London streets every day on my commute. And that was all well and good until I got the worst flu of my life. I think I've had the actual flu once when I was younger. I remember one really bad flu where I was Is this the one that... um... That Chris and Lucy and I, like all of us had it in the flat yeah. at my land. Yeah, yeah, that was monstrous. So our first winter here, we all came down with the most horrendous flu we've ever yeah, had. Yeah, killer. And this is 2019, everybody, not 2020. This yeah. is not coronavirus. Yeah, this is early 2019. 
but um, I I was doing this can can show. Yeah. And I came down with yeah. the flu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think this was literally uh, a few weeks after we'd lost our money. I remember the timeline being getting into can can. <laughs> yeah. Crashing my bike. Getting all our money stolen. Losing our money. Getting really sick. Getting the flu. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because I was, I, I, that's right, I was hiring Santander bikes for a little bit. Sure. Um, to get to rehearsal. But then mm-hmm. when our money got stolen, I started walking. Yeah. That was the progression. Uh, of course. So it felt like this wonderful start to the year that had yeah. happened. You'd gotten a job. Yes. I'd gotten in a show. was just going wrong in mm. so many ways. Mm. And I think the lowest point for me in that January was when I... I spent one night in a pool of my own sweat, vomiting, shivering, yeah. feverish, and had to call my agent the next day and and pull out of the finale of our show. Ah, uh, yeah. Because I I just couldn't I could barely get myself mm. to the re- to the show. Yeah. Let alone, let alone do the show. Do the eight minute can can in a corset Ooh, at the end. Dangerous. I was so worried I was going to kick someone like fall over or yeah, pass yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, you would have passed out. So that was really hard to have to. I I honestly. I've, I felt like I failed. I felt like people were never going to cast me again. Mm. I felt like I was going to make the worst impression. On the scene, like the whole scene, yeah. <laughs> it was a really low moment for me. And I had um, gotten a slight injury during that show as well. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So, you know, these old theatres sometimes don't have the best floors. The union, I was literally dancing on concrete. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not slagging off the union here at all. I love the union and I had an amazing time there and the memories mm. I made during that show. But mm-hmm. man, my hamstrings were not happy with me after I'd done that show. So I got my job. You had your job. Yeah. I had my teaching job. Teaching job. And I also picked up mm-hmm. pub quizzes. That's right. Um, which were keeping us going for a good while then. Mm-hmm. 40 pounds a pub quiz, mm-hmm. four or five a week. And Saturday morning teaching yeah. was... Getting me enough money to to keep afloat, but then we had to move out. Mm. We um, Chris and Lucy and and you and I had all, always discussed the fact that we would just live together for, the for be- a bit for the beginning, yeah, yeah. and then we would go out like separate a, ways. A launching platform, yeah. Um, uh, and Chris and Lucy became ready to m- find their own place mm-hmm. sooner than us, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So it came as a bit of a shock to the system when we made the decision as a house mm. to to bring it to an end and to find our own place. It made me realise how grateful I had been for them. And we ended up going south of the river this time, yep. southeast, mm-hmm. uh, to a place called Deptford. Deptford. Love Deptford. I love Deptford. Yeah. Uh, near New Cross. Yeah. And not quite so and far Greenwich. as Greenwich, which yeah, is a little bit more posh. Greenwich. So yeah, bit more, bit <laughs> we found more. it a bit more to our mm. budget. And, uh, yeah, we lived there for 18 months. Yeah. Well, I lived there longer yeah, because you, did. you you had to go. Yeah. Yeah, and why is that? Um, well, eventually mm, when I got my my most recent job and the job mm-hmm. I'm still in, I had to move down south away from you. Yeah. Which was the first time that we have had to do anything like that in in the sort of 12 years we'd been together I at know. that point. As much as I had been aching for a career that would have me travelling about and doing exciting things mm. in Brisbane that had never come about. And then all of a sudden, here in England, mm. within the first two years, an opportunity came about which meant that we were going to have to live apart, yep. which was just annoying. Yeah, it is annoying. 
it's necessary. When when you're the only thing that each other has, mm. like we've got more than that. <laughs> I know, I know, but it still it does feel, especially since moving over here, that oh, like, no, just we are our own bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was really hard for me to to properly consider and then say yes to taking this job. Yeah, but you had summer. to. There was no doubt in either of our minds that you would turn this down. Even from the outside, it looked like possibly one of the best jobs you've ever had. And then once you've been working in it for a while, it was confirmed that it was one of the best jobs you've ever had. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we'd moved over here to do we we touched on it before like the why and and part of it was that we wanted to pursue something some work for you I think I got a bit down in that when we were talking about it there and I I didn't mean for it to have that like negative connotation because it was also a a moment of like it it was joyous it was Mm. joy-filled doing taking these steps to move over Mm -hmm. here it was this like this feeling of energy that came from being a young couple, a young married couple with no kids and and nothing really tying us down to Brisbane that allowed us to say, hey, let's take all this money that we've saved and just do something with it mm-hmm. and, and live a life where we can look back on it years and years later and go, wow, I'm glad we did that. I'm, I'm stoked that we managed to make that work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a big part of this. And I think you're going to end up talking to a lot of people who have very similar experiences of just that it sort of came out of nowhere, that drive to do something more. And I think that that can, that can manifest itself in a number of different ways. And I mean, this podcast is going to focus on people moving to look for work. So those are the kind of stories you're going to hear the most. But I think that that kind of drive can motivate y- you to buy a house mm. or to, to have a baby or mm. to mm-hmm. do something like that. I think it's very similar. It's, it's that big life step, isn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like when you're doing it. And it's just about, it's just about doing grabbing it. that when you, when you yeah. have that feeling yeah. and that, cause nobody ever feels momentum. ready. It's just about, it's just about jumping. It's just about doing it, starting yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just got to get started. Don't That's you right. take the first step. Yeah. And so after having a year of doing a few odd gigs, yeah, working a Christmas gig, which I'll talk about again soon. Yeah. I got this amazing job opportunity. But mm. the day that I got that job mm-hmm. is burnt into my brain. Right. And I think that's probably one of my favorite stories to mm-hmm. tell. The day I got my new job sure. was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible day. Yeah. So you and I um, were cycling out to see your mum. Yep. So Nikki and Chris were in town. They'd come to see us mm-hmm. for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, and we'd spent the whole week surrounding Christmas together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were in their Airbnb in Bethnal Green yep. just for the last few days by themselves and we had gone out to say goodbye to them basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We cycled all the way out there, tied up our bikes, uh, deadbolted our li- our bikes is what I mean to say, we didn't just tie them up. Yeah, yeah. We secured <laughs> them. them Bit of rope. We secured them very, very safely. D-locks. Yeah, yeah. that's the way Chunky D-locks. Yeah. Um, and then we're just up in the apartment saying goodbye to your mum. So you'll know where this is going. My bike, very expensive. Lauren's bike, piece of shit. So that's right. You'd gotten uh, like a... a Through work, I'd been able to, to get for like the cycle bike. to work scheme allowed... Yeah. Work to buy me a very fancy bike that I paid back over time, yeah. basically. So, yeah, we de-locked £1,000 to a pole yeah, yeah. <laughs> outside the apartment. And then um, it was Chris who looked out and said, I think 
those two guys are scoping out your bikes. And we were like, oh yeah, cool, we'll go out and have a look. Thinking that she was maybe being a bit cautious, like, you know, like we were in the early days when we'd first come yeah, here, expecting yeah, yeah, the yeah. worst, and we'd never Definitely. had any trouble yet, so no. we didn't... Um, Even though something like 100,000 bikes a year are stolen oh in London. God. Anyway, next thing we look out, and the, these two guys had an angle grinder yep. that they had come back with. Just whipped out an angle grinder, and sparks flying. And we're cutting into the D-bolt, holding your bike to the pole. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I've ever run so fast in no, my life. No, neither. I, I realised later that we sprinted across a road to get to them, and I, I did not look left or right. Kids, very important. <laughs> look both ways. Yeah, we just went. I, and looked, I, think... I looked directly at those little, and I just charged, man. And I think they must have shat their pants, honestly, to see you come and running at them. For anyone been... who doesn't know Will, he's the... six foot six. It would have been the most broad... It's quite a big stride. Yeah, really big. <laughs> it's just the most Australian I'd been since we, since we landed, I think. Just the, like, guttural, Oi! What the f*** <laughs> do you think you're doing?! <laughs> Or whatever it was. Something came out of it. It came out of my mouth. Very Australian and very... Yeah. I felt like the Terminator. Tribal. I almost chased him down as he cycled off on a bike. It was nuts. And then didn't he turn around and say to you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, it was something like, what are you going to do? And I realised, like, what am I going to do? Am I seriously going to rip this 15-year-old off a bike and, like, stomp his head here? I'm going to go to prison. This is... Like, what am I going to do? Stop. He's so stop. right. He just knows. He just knows. It's like a kid who pushes the teacher in class. Yeah. Once they realise that detention is the maximum thing that can happen, really, or expulsion, there's, like, all bets are off. Mm. It doesn't matter anymore. Once someone learns the extent of the punishment, they just don't care. And these kids didn't care. And it set our hearts racing. I remember I the sick, adrenaline man. from that was really, really disgusting. Yeah. It gave me, like, the tiniest, tiniest taste of, of what it must be to suffer from something like PTSD. Mm. Because I thought about it for days and days, and I didn't take my bike anywhere. Yeah. And I just, it, like, it changed so much. You still don't sometimes go no, places no, with it, your bikes no. it's if, too expensive. If, if you think they're um, dangerous. Which is so stupid. It's like, oh, I want this mode of transport to, to help me get about, and yeah, everyone else wants it too. <laughs> and then saying goodbye to your mum and Chris. Yeah. It's like it's always a, like an emotional thing to say goodbye to family. That was a big day as mm, well. Mm. And then having a bike almost be stolen. Yeah. Our hearts were in our throat. Like yeah. you, the adrenaline mostly. Mm -hmm. But just what a day it had been. Yep. And then we were at Halford's Mile End. Yep. Bless you, Halford's Mile End. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Buying a new D-bolt. Yeah. When uh, all of a sudden I get a call from... Uh, one of my new bosses yep. and someone who's become a very good friend of mine, Claire, and um, she offered me the job Yep. in the holiday sector, which is not an area of the entertainment industry that I had necessarily been planning no. to work in. Well, it doesn't exist in Australia. It doesn't really. exist in not Australia. Like, not like here at all. So uh, I'd auditioned for a, a lead vocalist role as part of a, a, a theatre company, basically, that provide the entertainment for this branch of holiday parks. Mm -hmm. Just, as you say, work that doesn't exist back home. Mm. And after a number of auditions, some, like a recall and everything, mm -hmm. I, I got the job and it just changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, and that day, after the bikes had almost been stolen, we went to the pub, do you remember? 
Which one? The Rusty Bike. Oh, Rusty Bike. Our favourite. Yeah. yeah, great pub. Um, and we met Ken. Oh, we did too. <laughs> yeah. So Ken Santos, a, a Brisbane theatre guy. He's actually an amazing photographer. Yeah. Um, if anyone in Brisbane needs uh, headshots done, I, don't, I wonder if he's still in Brisbane. Mm, who knows? Shout out to Ken. Um, he had just moved to London himself yeah. to try and start his pursuit of things. Yeah, yeah. And we just so happened had planned to meet him yeah that God, it's day. so nice to just like catch up with it is with someone from your hometown even if you'd never because i'd never met him before mm. but there was just so much about him that was familiar it's so strange that yeah mm. and it, it was there was something really beautiful about having the hectic day yeah and then the amazing news yeah, and then yeah. sitting in a pub with an australian person and just yeah. talking yeah yeah um that's lovely so that was that day and then 2020 started. Yeah. My pursuit for a career mm -hmm. had taken me down south to yep. a place called Hailing Island yep. uh, that I didn't even know existed before I'd gone there for the audition. Mm -hmm. um, but it meant that I had to move away from Will. So that was a mm. big decision. We had spent no more than like six weeks apart in yeah, 12 is, years together. This is a bit of a weird thing about us. Yeah. Like not <laughs> We've everyone. We've lived in each other's pockets. Not everyone's like this. Forever. <laughs> We literally have, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I just don't really get sick of you. No, which no, is which is great. Good, yeah. <laughs> helpful, <laughs> lucky for a married couple. Yeah. Um, but the f the biggest test of living away from you had come that Christmas previously. Yes. When I'd gotten uh, a gig, mm -hmm. uh, working as an elf That's out right. in the woods. Yes. Um, and it, that was actually the first job I got offered. Mm -hmm. So this was before the holiday work, mm -hmm. the Christmas before. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been working out in the woods as an elf and I met a lovely friend called Joe. Yep. Who I ended up living with. I got housed with him. Mm -hmm. So I met Joe doing this Christmas gig yep. and then we stayed in touch afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we'd we had saw a, him that New Year's. We saw him that New Year's. He just made the effort to... Yeah, he made the effort. ...to keep in touch with us. Which was amazing. And he, so touching as, as, like, Aussies in another country to have somebody make that effort. Like, he was just so, so yeah. friendly. Yeah, And we caught up with him just before I'd left for hailing. Mm -hmm. And Joe and I really hit it off. We, yeah, we caught up with him a couple of times. And then as 2020 unfolded... Yeah. Lockdown hit pretty soon after uh, I'd started. And, and the biggest stress with that was that I... Our lease was, our coming, lease to was coming to an end. And this was in, in the midst of all of the confusion and the unknown eventualities that, that would occur. So we'd had no sort of major announcements from government. Things were in the air in terms of... Like, shit was about to hit the fan, and it felt like it. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the the scariest part was that our lease was going to end, and we didn't know how that was going to be affected. I had planned to move in with Joe and to find a place with him, and we were really pumped, and we were doing inspections, and he'd introduced me to this mate of his that had also worked at, at the Elf Park. And, elf Park? Yeah, Elf Park. <laughs> and... Like the three of us hit it off, we'd, we'd caught up for for a beer, I think, and just to chat about the house and, and how things were going to go. And, and we had a six spreadsheet on the on a Google Doc. So Everyone was putting in, we were going to do that, and then it all fell apart. Basically, you stole my friends. Yeah, <laughs> I stole your friends, and I was going to move in with them. And it you were going to move in with them, because yeah. I'd shipped off down south, so yep. you were like, all right, I'll make yeah, my Fuck it, home. I'll steal your mates. Um, <laughs> 
So you were planning on doing that, but then lockdown happened. Lockdown You'd already happened. terminated the lease, so that was. I had me. to. Yeah, we we only had like three weeks left or something. So I terminated the lease. They knew that that was happening. They'd found a bloke to move in. Inspections had been happening in our flat the whole time this was occurring as and well. And these, these primarily self-employed housemates that you were going to live yep. with had all their work dry up. Suddenly lost their jobs because of, of what was happening. Yeah, I now had nowhere to live. And I was like, cool, I'm about to be homeless in a foreign country or I have three weeks to find a flat by myself or like two weeks, so two yeah. and a half weeks. The time was running out to find a flat and move in all by myself because you weren't there. So I had to like pack everything, ship it, hire a truck, like find the flat first because we've been looking at three bedroom places and now I had to pivot and look for one bedroom spots and it was just really scary and Joe called me the night that Boris had made the announcement that that we were going into lockdown and said what are you doing we we're going into lockdown tomorrow so either you're going to sort something out or I'm going to come over there with dad's truck and I'm going to, we're going to fill it with your stuff and I'm going to take you to my grandparents' place and they've got a spare room upstairs and, and you can live there and it's all sorted on my end. So what are you doing? And you say yes to that, I was you? stunned. I was absolutely stunned. It was like unbelievable. And yeah, said yes. So next day we did it. First day of the lockdown in London, I was driving across it in a van with a guy I'd met like only recently both yeah. of us with masks on, laughing hysterically at Everything how, you how crazy it was. Everything we owned in the back. Yeah. Because I packed up an entire two two people's worth of stuff. Yeah, that was the first time you'd ever had to move a house by yourself. It sucks, it? man. It does sucks. Suck. I feel Moving sucks normally, be. but having to do it all yourself was really hard. Which was, again, why it was so incredible that Joe was just there and had my back. And I've been here pretty much ever since. Yeah. And we've sort of gone back and forth and we had some we had a bit of a stint down with you. And, and you've come up here and when we were able to move based on the current restrictions at the time. And th that kind of paints a picture now of, of where we are. We're basically living apart most yep. of the time when things are going well. Mm -hmm. I'm working down south. Isn't that weird? Isn't that we're weird? We're living apart when things are going well and, and, and we're separated. Uh, that's just nuts. And that's how we go about our lives. Yeah. This year, but yeah, after... A year of working and being locked down and then working again mm -hmm. down south, mm -hmm. we've eventually been reunited again. Mm. Yeah. Back together just in time for you to get fiendish about how little you're doing and create something for yourself to do. And to weasel you into Which is this podcast. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Next, my plan is to talk to Hayley, yeah. a fellow Brisbane performance sure. gal who's been working on cruise ships. Mm -hmm. And now working as an entrepreneur. Oh, a little sneak peek for the next step. Yeah, so that will be the next step. Uh, I hope to have it out in mm. the next couple of weeks. But honestly, this cool. is just for fun, and I have I have no great agenda for it. I don't no. know, I don't know if anyone will listen to it. No. Um, I think, and this is what you've said before too, that what you're expecting to happen is that everyone's going to love this first one with me so much, <laughs> so much that they'll be like, "Fuck all those other people! I don't care about that business." <laughs> Make this a Will podcast. Get this guy back. So if you want Will to stay on the podcast, <laughs> send us your votes. Yeah, <laughs> comment. Yeah, I don't even know if people can comment on this. Like, I don't even know. Like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. And now, um, you thought I was going to the shops for snacks earlier. What? But actually, what I just wanted to say thank you for helping me with this first little what? podcast. I bought you some little daffodils oh, to put on your windowsill. That's so sweet. Because and weird. You've... <laughs> Thanks. Bye.
Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, that's gorgeous. You've made this first one really fun. Oh, cool. And I think it'll be cool to look back on. Daffodils. Yeah. They'll grow soon. I know it's cold, but they're on their way. So cute. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for filming the first one with Happy me. Filming? Thanks. Recording is what I meant to Thanks say. Thanks for the daffodils. <laughs> That's all right. You're calling uh, D-locks D-bolts for the whole thing. I think weird things will just happen to me while I'm filming my own voice, yeah. recording my own voice. Filming. There I yeah, went yeah, again. Yeah. Well, you talk, you're always talking about how you're switching off candles <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> instead of blowing them out. Sometimes the voice that comes out of my mouth is not the voice that I hear in my head. Sure. But will... That or you just get technology confused. Like light switches. Do you know what? That's filming. Let's, let's embrace the mess. That's all I have to say. Embrace the mess. Yeah. Thanks, babe. No worries. <laughs>